Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. from today's sponsor. Hey everybody, Mr. Dave here. I want to tell you all about... Oh, Mr. Dave! Mr. Dave! Hey Arnold, what can I do for you? I was just about to tell everybody all about the show. That's why I'm here. I thought of a wonderful way to do the commercial. Oh yeah? What's that? In song. It's educational. It's sensational. It's our puppet invitational. To join us each week for some fun. Sit back and relax. Grab some popcorn or some snacks. And get ready for the show. Sing along and get to know the sensation across the nation. It's a music-filled vacation. All your senses will be whirring and your brain cells will be stirring. It's the show you'll want to say. It's fun time with Mr. Dave. That was a great idea, Arnold. You can find Fun Time with Mr. Dave on Facebook and Instagram at Dave the Entertainer and on YouTube by searching Mr. Dave with an exclamation mark. See you next time. Welcome, everybody, to today's side quest. We are going to be talking today about a topic that Liwanika and I have uh, tossed back and forth uh, a bunch over the last few weeks. We are, in general, huge fans of the Star Trek Discovery show. Loved it since day one. And Star Trek Discovery just wrapped up season three. Uh, It's a couple of weeks ago now. So we've had a couple of weeks to kind of uh, sit back and think about what we thought about season three. Um, And we're going to go ahead and talk about it today. So, uh, Liwanika, let's start. What were your general thoughts about Discovery season. In general, I really like Star Trek Discovery. I, I would dare say love. Yep. In general, that is a very troubled kind of love. And I say that because there are elements about it that really cause me to struggle. There are things where it's like, I really want to watch this show. Like, I desperately watch it. Like, when it's on simultaneous with The Mandalorian, I struggle episode by episode, which I'm going to watch first. Overall, that's a better show, but my love for Star Trek runs very deep, mm-hmm. and Discovery has done nothing but re-energize yep. that, not diminish that. So even the episodes that are troubling are still better than other television that's out there today. So speaking about season three, I think this was an interesting season, yep. and we're going to do this this review of the season differently than we did our Mandalorian review. We're going to do this in um, three basic parts. We're going to cover the three acts of the season as we see them. 
Uh, and the reason why I think that's a great idea to do it that way is I think if we start digging in episode by episode, we may focus too nitpicky on little details and little things that we didn't like or things that we could have, we would have preferred to see, see more of, see less of, what have you, uh, without really talking about how cool it was overall, while still mentioning some of the things that were a bit troublesome. I, I think that that's one of the things that with Star Trek in particular that Star Trek series have always done really well is really focus on an entire season plot with several arcs that exist within each season, but that never diminish from the season plot. They always add to it, similar to the way that you always described Babylon 5. Now, Babylon 5 was not a show that I watched a lot, but that whenever you and other friends talked about Babylon 5, you always talked about how every season had a distinct plot and multiple subplots, and none of the subplots ever distracted from the big plot. The big plot was always still the big plot, and as the big plot unfolded, it unfolded through the discovery of and the playing through of these subplots and the development of these subplots that would reveal little pieces of the big of of the uh, the big plot and everything like that. And I think that with Discovery, seasons two and seasons three, I think sort of had the same structural flaws in some parts where it took a little bit too long to get into what the actual big plot of the season was. Both seasons two and season three did it. And and so I've got to at some point think that it's kind of intentional. That's just the way the show paces. It, it, it takes too long to get into what's going on. I say this with love. Like, I love Star Trek. I mean, I still remember being young and watching Next Generation come on and be like, holy crap, this is amazing. I cannot believe that this is a show that is on TV that I can watch right now. That I mean, that is a show that changed my life. That is a show that I can still periodically, 25, 30 years later, watch from the beginning of season three until the end of season seven, because everyone ignores that seasons one and two of Star Trek Next Generation exist for good reason. Me. Um, okay, so there are moments in season <laughs> one. There are moments in season one. I'll give you that. But you know, but really, at the end of the day, each season had its own arc. Each season had its own development. Each season had three to four to five subplots that existed within it, but that all augmented the season. And I think that Discovery is 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 pacing its seasons differently than shows like Next Generation or DS9 or Voyager did. I absolutely agree with everything you just said. And for me as well, my love for this show and my love for Star Trek as a property runs very deep. It is very much the core of my essence. When I was extremely young, when Star Trek was first being shown in syndication, the original series, my mother used to take me to the student union at Cornell University every Saturday night so we could watch Star Trek. Those are some of my earliest memories as a human being on planet Earth soul system. Nice. (laughs) You know, so Star Trek to me is me. I have been so much of a fan and a supporter of the property. I have gone to conventions. I've owned uniforms. I've done all the tremendously geeky things. I've been, <laughs> I, I, I've been a member of Starfleet. I was the exo of a 
fan club, a, sh- a ship for my fellow checkers out there. You know, I've done all the things. I've run conventions through our fan club organization. So I'm all in. That said, one of the things that struck me specifically about season three, and I noticed it to some extent in season two, but I think they actually did it far better in season three, is if you look at the entire season as one episode, not as 10 episodes, if you thought of it as one 10-hour episode, Mm -hmm. the structure of that 10-hour episode mirrors TOS episodes. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. I recognize that somewhere in the middle of the second arc and we'll uh, store act of the season and we'll get to that. And that's when I said, this is bloody fantastic. It's why I don't want to look at each individual episode here, because I think you miss that if you're looking at the individual episodes. There are some episodes that are slower. And like you said, there are some pacing issues here. And I believe the pacing issues are because they are structuring a 10 hour episode. And they just happen to make cuts where the hours are. And that, by definition, has created some slower episodes or some episodes where it feels like it's not moving forward enough. But you can't remove any one of those episodes and have anything in the season make sense. And so that's that's where I think it struggles. And for people who don't have that built-in love for for the property, it's harder for them to dig into. There are going to be some folks that say, Man, I just, I, I don't know. I'll get to it eventually. This is the kind of show that pays off. It pays you back. It gives more than you gave if you hang out for more than the first couple episodes. And, and, and I think it's important to note that when you're looking at this, is that you're looking at a single episode that happens to be 10 episodes long or 10 hours long. Yeah. Okay. I can get with that. I uh, I see where you're going there. That And that definitely does make sense that the point that you, ra- you made about episodes may have been slow in some cases but that they were still critical to they they were that that missing puzzle piece and i guess you know that you're right the pacing for discovery really does echo the pacing for tos a lot it it really it very much does and i'm thinking back again because i mean i very much came to star trek in the next generation and I think back to, especially in like the later, the later seasons, seasons five and six and, and seven, where there would be episodes where it's like, what is going on? You know, the, 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 the episodes in a jar where they would take place in the holo, in, in the holodeck. Like, what are they doing? This has nothing to do with anything that happened last week. Inevitably, you're right that if you took it out of, you know, there'd be one little thing or one little reference to, you know, to something, you know, like, for example, um, here's another example. The episode when, uh, this is later in the season, I think it's like season five, when Worf starts moving through time because the ship has accidentally passed through a wormhole and he and he is aware that his reality is changing, but everybody else's reality is changing and, and they're not aware of it. What happens in that episode that is key to everything else that's going on? On, that's when his relationship with Deanna Troy develops is in this altered reality and that's where that relationship comes up and that is where the conflict between him and Riker comes up and so it's like here's this episode that really in the grand scheme of things by definition can't have anything to do with what's going on because it doesn't take place in the same timeline and yet there are two key elements that come up in that episode that then tie it all together. And had that episode not existed, the relationship between Worf and Troy doesn't make any sense. It makes zero sense without that episode. But there it is. And that episode itself had to be there. So, yep, you know what? I stand corrected. I think, I think you're right. 
Well, thank you. Appreciate that. I thought I was right too. <laughs> Episode over. Um, right? You know, and mic drop. So given that, and it's interesting that we go into a discussion about Discovery Season 3, and we, in order to discuss how and why we like it and what we relate to about it, we spend a lot of time with the, the series that I started with, TOS, and the series that you started with, Next Gen. And we go over how it mirrors those things. And it is an interesting blend of some of those concepts and ideas, um, which is why this show has this weird love hate within fandom as general, even though most Trekkers mm. I know and Trekkies I know generally like, if not love this show. I know tons of people who are fans that just love this show that hang on this every episode. They want to see what's going on. Uh, and I yep. talk with lots of them, by the way, fans of the our show, commits with us on Twitter about the show because we love talking all things hob uh, hobby and genre. Yeah, please. We'll, we'll go over those details at the end of the episode, but we would love for you guys to comment on what you guys think about Discovery also. And I think that you're right. I think that a lot of the controversy by now has died down. But boy, when Discovery Season 1 came out and the the Klingons in particular, the way that they redesigned the Klingons really caused a lot of controversy. And But I will go on record and say I loved the Klingon design. I loved the way the Klingons were represented in Season 1. I thought that the way that the Klingons were represented in Season 1 was genius. And I thought that the entire plot arc of Season 1, with the way that it wove that story together, was so magnificent so fantastic season one of discovery was was really probably one of my favorite star trek seasons on tv and there's a lot of competition in that pool i will also go on record as saying the only thing i didn't like about season one was the klingon redesign i have big issues with it you could be wrong it's okay but we'll dig into that one later and we'll invite <laughs> Another everybody's right. comments as soon as you hear this episode. Digging into Discovery Season 3. Let's have that in. Yeah. So I like to think of the first four, five episodes as act one of this larger 10-hour season. And I thought this is where we had most of our pacing issues. If there were parts about this season that I struggled with, almost all of them were here. But again, they all paid off in the end. So if I'm being honest with everybody I'm, I'm, uh, that I'm talking to right now, I too had issues with pieces of this, but there was always enough to make me want to listen to more uh, or, and watch more. I struggled initially with the character of Cleveland Book, and I say initially because he made sense later on as we got to know him, and I like that character a lot. Um, I'm very familiar with this actor. I've seen him in in several other things. Most recently, he was part of a um, season arc for Supergirl. I forget the season number at this time. And I thought he was amazing playing, Manche um, uh, playing Manchester Black in that show. And I thought his first episode in Discovery was too similar to his Manchester Black character. Like, And that's what kind of threw me off. I was like, I don't want to see this again. I know this guy can act. This is a guy who he's part of the Royal Shakespeare Company. He's been on stage, real stage, with Sir Patrick Stewart. Like, they know each other. So this is a high caliber quality actor. And I'm like, I don't expect actors like that to do the same thing time and time again. And so it was a little off-putting for me. 
That said, there was still enough stuff to keep me interested. The t- discussion about the burn, the idea of we're this far in the future, but there are some limits, some governors on how far we can go, where we can go. There are some legit dangers. I thought it th- this opening act did all of those things amazingly well, and uh, uh, I, I, and that I really liked. The fact that they were there, Starfleet was there to find Starfleet, I loved. And I thought it was genius having the crew separated from Burnham for the, for the first couple episodes. Absolutely. So I am going to minorly disagree on one point and then majorly disagree on another point with what you just said. So let me go ahead and start with my minor quibble. I don't think that the pacing issues were at the beginning of the season. I think that what I saw at the beginning of the season was that they were like a fine novel laying out the chessboard. They they weren't playing chess yet. They were just putting the pieces on the board. They needed to go ahead and set out that there was a resource management issue and that that had caused this major disruption in the Federation. They needed to lay out that it had to do with the one thing that allowed the the Federation to succeed, and that was warp travel. So how do they disable warp travel? They disable warp travel by making dilithium, which everybody knows is explosive, actually explode and basically cripple the Federation. It, it, It becomes a resource management problem. So they're laying all those pieces out. You know, and so th- so then you start feeling through, you know, basically all of the issues. How has how have the societies fragmented? How have certain societies dealt with this? You know, like the Trill leaving the Federation and then a Trill character winding up. So they're laying out the chessboard at that point. They're not even they haven't even started yet. They're just putting the pieces on the board. So that's my one quibble. I don't think that the pacing issues were at the were at the beginning. I think the pacing issues were in the middle. We'll get to that in a second. The point that I really want to disagree with, the character the, the actor that plays Book is an amazing actor. His character arc, his personal character arc makes no sense. There is no reason in 3166 that Book ever becomes a Federation officer. Period. Full stop doesn't happen. He's a rogue. He is a rogue through and through. He is a scrounger. He is he's a thief. He is lawful neutral, and he is never going to join. He is never going to subscribe to the tenets of the Federation because they are not always going to be in line with his. He is Chakotay, is who he is. He is, but you know, but Chakotay at least had the honor code that was in line with the Federation enough that he could go ahead and function in that space. But Book does not, and Book never becomes a Federation officer. So. And maybe I missed this. My understanding is he agreed to hang out with them, but he did not become an officer. I didn't see him put on a uniform. I mean, Michael kept making jokes about him putting on the about the uniform at the end of the, at the end. She of the season. did, but I didn't see him in it. So maybe we don't yeah. know yet. The captain, the captain that allows book on the bridge of a starship is not is not a captain for long. I'm not. This is not the part of the podcast <laughs> where I sit here and vehemently disagree with you. Or this yeah. is the part where I'm supposed to do that. This, however, is not that podcast, right? We're not. We're the not only reason that. that book is on the bridge of of discovery at that point in time is because they don't want to have him in a different part of the ship to film the shots. Yep. 
That's it. That's the only reason he's on the bridge. The only reason. So that he's let on the me bridge. also say this: I think the character of Book satisfies some narrative issues with the show, and that is humanizing or giving a a a reason to humanize Michael Burnham. Mm, I, I okay. think it's not necessarily the strongest narrative reason, and I don't know if that's necessarily the most brilliant piece of writing to do so. Um, but I will say this about uh, Book's character: he may not have a reason, but I, I will ask. I will, I will give you this thought in the form of a question. Josh, what have you been willing to do for love? And I'm going to leave that to percolate. Because that's, that's a good even, reason to put on a the, uniform. That's not even kind. That, that's not even <laughs> kind. But I'm going to leave that there. Sometimes, even in the year 999, whatever they are in, love has to triumph. So uh, moving on from Act 1. I agree with you. They set up things, and I get, I get why it had to be that way. I and I get the bringing the crew back. I th- while it was a cool element, I don't know if maybe it went one episode too long, or if some of the leaps were not enough. Maybe there were things that we didn't spend enough time with. I'm not exactly sure what that mix is. I'm not claiming to think I could do it better than the amazing staff that did it. I'm just saying that something about it felt clunky, chunky not smooth there was just even though i liked it there were things about that that just didn't feel quite right and i got from the beginning to the end of that first group of episodes exactly why and how they were doing what they're doing even to some extent how i got it they had to set up the universe they went to this entirely new place right exactly yeah and you had they had to set that stage and i think it is also part of the challenge with discovery is They've essentially had to do this three times. Something about the way they've done things with this show, they've had three separate semi-restarts. Yeah, it's because they they violate what I have always thought is the prime rule that a sci-fi uh, fantasy show needs to avoid. This show does a lot, a lot of time travel. A lot of time travel. Doing time travel is hard. We talked about, when we did our episode about uh, shows from the 2010s, we talked about heroes and how when did heroes really start to get squirrely? When all of a sudden, not just did you have hero bouncing back and forth in time kind of uncontrollably and cute, but they started having different timelines that were in conflict with one another. And Discovery has been doing the same thing virtually since day one. And so it's kind of what Discovery does, but it winds up in this situation where it's like you know they are discovery is going to be the fish out of water for three or four episodes at the beginning of the season while they try to figure out what the hell is going on yep. and interestingly enough some of the challenges i had with the with enterprise uh that show when it was on was similar because they yep. have this time war going on i'm like uh uh, and we haven't yeah. talked about it on the show, though at some point I'm sure it will come up. We're going to get into, uh, at some point, the X-Men and where I think they went off the rails. Uh, they fi- fired Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Um, <laughs> if you're doing anything in this universe and you happen to be lucky enough to have Claremont and Byrne on your team and you let them go, you jump the shark and you're done. You have <laughs> you failed. Have failed. Yeah. If you were smart enough to land them, don't be dumb enough to fire them. <laughs> be smart enough to yeah. keep them yeah uh, that said one of the things that i absolutely don't like in comic books is, and i'm a big fan of comic books and it's only been done well maybe two or three times 
is time travel stories. I don't mind the one-shot time travel story. Like, we just did this one thing, it was really cool to see this other time, and we're done with it. Even if a character does it every now and then, that's fine. But I don't like the ongoing, this is the focus of our plot, time travel story. And the only exception to that rule has been in comic books for me, the uh, the zero hour story in DC, uh, and and it's tel- modern television retelling, which has become DC Legends of Tomorrow. They do that very well in their own quirky way. It is very difficult to do a time travel story because it is hard to have lasting consequences when you have the ability to just leave and or create a whole new thing. <laughs> it's just hard, and that's hard to get people to follow that that logic. It's probably what did the show Journeyman, which was always one of my favorite shows. But again, you've got a guy who is jumping back and forth from time somewhat unpredictably. And now all of a sudden, the audience can't just watch and enjoy, but they've got to keep all these various timelines in sync. Like, well, what did he do when he was in the middle timeline versus the end and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, I think that that's that's it's a tough thing to manage. And I think that Discovery kind of manages it by saying every season we're going to go ahead and blow the entire thing up and and you're just going to have to catch up. Pretty much. Moving on to the second act. Start us off, Josh. What did you think about that second group of episodes? You said that's yep. where you had the pacing issues. Talk to me about yeah. it. Uh, wh- where do you think uh, the challenges really came in here? Yep. So I think that the second act suffered from sort of the same thing that we saw when we talked about Mandalorian season two and we talked about kind of where the weak parts of season two were. They were in how for a while the show got really repetitive where it was, you know, the Mandalorian was going off on kind of uh, on, on on a mission but not actually getting to where he wanted to go. It was, you know, your princess is in another castle. And I feel like season two of Discovery kind of started getting into that because once they got into, you know, back to Starfleet headquarters and Starfleet realized that they had the only warp-capable ship in the entire fleet, that they started sending them off to go ahead and handle little, like, side missions. You know, I felt like we were talking a lot about kind of the pacing of of the show and how the 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 pacing arc for Discovery tends to be slow at first and then speed up through the end of the episode versus other Star Trek shows which kind of had a more gradual arc progression throughout the entirety of the season and I felt like this was the point where they were just saying we need to understand is this crew going to be with us is this crew on our side are they who they say they are what can we make them what hoops can we make them jump through to go ahead and prove that they are loyal to us and everything like that I thought until they got to the episode where Osira was introduced, I thought that that just kind of that just kind of got repetitive. And I, I I think the point that you made you made earlier about the parallelism between watching this and watching Mandalorian was really kind of telling because they were both kind of doing the same thing. And I both I thought that in both in both situations it was kind of the weakest point. You made me think of something when you were talking that I found interesting and. I share your thoughts about and your uh, about this particular part of the show that generally it was slightly weaker. This is the section of the show where I actually went maybe a week or two after an episode came out before I watched it. Like I didn't watch this section one right after, like as it came up. Like I tend to watch this show if not Thursday night when it was on, uh, 
Friday night uh, immediately after The Mandalorian or immediately before I would watch The Mandalorian. Um, but this was the section I was like, I'm really tired. I'm just going to watch Mando. I'll catch up on Discovery sometime Saturday. Uh, yeah. and, and I would watch it a couple days later. And actually, at, at two points during this section, I actually just let an episode go and I watched two episodes back to back like a week later or something yep. like that because it was like that. But I will say my some of my favorite episodes were in this or one of my favorite episodes which was when they went to the renamed uh planet vulcan seeing mm. the romulan vulcan reunification and the and the fractures that were starting to re-splinter yeah. to me was very good star trek and it was very echoing of some of the challenges we saw brought out in picard and mm. and it always brings me back to some of my favorite next gen episodes that being unification, it is they are, yeah. with the exception of Imzadi, reunification or unification is my single favorite Star Trek novel, right? Because it's such a good book, and they were such good episodes when they talk about those things. And generally speaking, if Spock's involved, it's going to be a good thing. They Star Trek pulls out the stops when it deals with the legacy of Spock. That's just what they do. And I thought they did a great yep. job here. The fact that Burnham's mother showed up, big surprise. We should probably have done a yep. spoiler alert for this season, but we're far after. If you haven't seen it's it. It's been like a month after. If they haven't yeah, watched Discovery by it. now, then yeah. 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 Um, sorry, but I can tell you that having Burnham's mother be there and then joining that uh, order of, uh, of Romulan uh, battle sisters, I forget the name off the top of my head, but that great organization brought out uh, that was uh, developed in, in Picard. It's so awesome. Like, I actually want to play a tabletop character that is a member of that order. That's the character I want to play, whether they be a human, whether they be a Romulan or a Vulcan. I want to play that order. I think that's awesome. It's called the Coat Malat. Yes. Thank you. Um, and I thought that that was an excellent episode. But I was thinking... See, I totally disagree. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about this section and some of the things that they go through, and I get the fact that it seemed very formulaic. I think that's what you were alluding to. It almost made me wish Discovery wasn't a 13-episode show. Because when you do a small episode number, you are boxing yourself into every episode has to count. But what you were also doing is you're saying, audience please understand more time passes in between these episodes than you see. When shows were 24 seasons or 24 episodes a season, you had the ability to do filler episodes. So you got to see day in the life episodes. You got to see this is our mundane mission episode or a mundane mission. Not every episode involved this dramatic, huge story arc. And I think that's what we were missing in this section to make the stuff kind of resonate well. Like everything was, oh my God, we're on the big mission. So it almost feels like these guys are always saving the universe. When sometimes they just did a planetary supply run and ran into a little trouble. And we don't get to see that anymore because of the short episode counts. And I think it was missing that. So here is my issue with 
so we're talking about episode seven called Unification Three, an obvious nod to Unification from Next Generation. And uh, yeah, I forget where Unification Two was. It wasn't in Next Generation. Um, no, Unification was a two-parter in Next Generation. Correct. That's right. It was a. That's right. It was a two-parter. This is this episode's called Unification Three. So it is clearly a nod to that episode. Here's my issue with this episode. I also loved the the kind of xenophobic nature that the Romulan Vulcan conglomerate has developed and how they have pulled back from everybody um, to isolate themselves. Loved that. Thought it was fantastic. Loved the surprise appearance of Burnham's mother as an adversary, not even necessarily as uh, as somebody who was, who was trying to push Michael in a particular direction. Adversary is maybe the wrong word, but that's it kind of had that element to it where she was certainly not an ally. Exactly. She was she was on Michael's side, but not on Michael's side at the same time. I thought that was all fantastic. And then in the last two minutes of the episode, the entire thing that they had set up the entire time of that episode is that Discovery wanted this data, but they weren't going to be able to get it, that it was going to be kept from them. Unfortunately, that data was too important to the plot to not let Discovery get it. And so, for the last two minutes of the episode, after spending 45 minutes saying, nope, this is why you can't have it, they reverse course. And they say, we're going to give it to you anyway. Yeah, yeah, and basically invalidate everything that took place in the episode. They invalidated everything that happened that entire episode. And I just thought that that was crappy writing. Yeah, so here's where I say that's the only way you can handle the, the this particular issue and this part of this season, if you're only doing 13 episodes. If you were doing 24 episodes, you could have left them not getting the data in episode seven. Yep. You could have and had then get it in episode two, seven. three yeah. episodes of them doing yeah. different things, a supply run, saving the day, risking their life, risking their lives to save one of the guys who was chief and saying no, winning him over, then they get the data. So, so we get the payoff for you're not good enough to get this. You better go out and earn it. Then we get to see them go out and earn it. Then they get the data. That's how you do that. But you can't do that if you're only doing 13 episodes. You yeah. have to have, quote unquote, filler episodes if you're going to do things like that. So when you're writing it, unfortunately, you can't build your court case and set it up for them to lose. You basically have to set it up as you've got a chance. You've got a slim chance. You can't set it up. Everything's against you. You know you're not going to get this, right? Forget it. You're not going to get this. You have to give them the shot to get it, make it clear they have a good shot of getting it, and then let them have it be really tough. Have the twist be they almost lost it, but they eked it out in the end. Uh, and unfortunately, <sighs> I think they failed because what they did is they set it up as this wall is too big for you to scale. You'll never scale it. Then at the end of the episode, they didn't scale it, Go home, slink home, and then it's like, Psst, here you go anyway. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. That's not good. And I agree yep. that that yep. part of it wasn't good. I love the elements of this episode. I, but you're right. If I look at the thing as a whole, didn't care for it. Right. It shouldn't have been two episodes. You're exactly right. Yeah. Really, what they should have done is this should have been like episode four, which was the episode where Tal starts figuring out who they are and and I and re-identifying themselves as Trill and everything like that. That's episode four. Really, this episode should have been episode four. The Trill episode should have been episode seven. And then at the end of that episode is when 
figure somehow something has happened, you know, with the Vulcans and the Romulans, and then they decide that they get that data. But leave us in suspense for those couple of weeks. Like, what are they gonna do? Um, and there was that's that's the thing that ultimately it's like I thought the episode was great until that lousy payoff at the end. It's like, well, that episode was totally freaking useless. They could have just called the episode Michael gets the data that she wants and it would have had just as much importance as what actually went on. Nothing else in that episode mattered. Nothing else mattered except for the last, you know, it's like watching an NBA game. Nothing in an NBA game matters until the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. And that was the same thing here. And that's why I don't like the NBA. I'm I'm five foot three. Clearly, I'm not a basketball fan. <laughs> oh my God. Not my, and I, if my nephews are hearing us who play basketball, I will always try to watch your games because I love watching you play. Uh, but basketball is not my dick. When you play football, I'm all in, yeah. by the way. Yeah. But I, I, <laughs> that's I, it. I, I, I don't have to worry about any of my family hearing this because they play basketball. <laughs> all right. For all the sins in Act 2 and or Act 1, depending on your perspective, and please, everybody, tell us which one of us is right. Hey, And if, and if one of our fans wants to post a poll on the Facebook group, you can do that. I think that all of us can say that there were some pacing issues in the first two in the first half of Discovery season three. So tell us what you guys think. Let's talk about how this season ends. So again, see the the third act comes up. They have got the data from the Vulcans and the Romulans. They have triangulated where the burn originated. They have done the science to go ahead and figure out that there were microsecond differences, and they have started moving to the location where they find Sukal. Let's talk about Act 3. What are your thoughts? Act 3 is what drove home to me that this was a TOS uh, episode long form. Act 3 is where, at the end of this epic quest to find out what went wrong, great tragedy happens, huge problem, big mystery, we go through all this, red shirts die, all this stuff happens, and at the end of this, we find out it's simply because a child lost their mother. I think there is nothing more true to Star Trek than that. A personal tragedy has great implications, and it and the way to solve the problem isn't through grand schemes, it isn't through an epic battle, Though there were those things. Yep. It is through understanding. It is through caring. It is through shepherding and mentoring and yeah. helping someone come to a different perspective Connection. that you save the day. Connection is what saved the universe in this case. And I think that is so powerful. That is... It, it, it is not lost on me that they ended the final episode of the season with a tribute to Gene. Because yeah, absolutely. that is such a true and important and core Star Trek value that honestly I think is better seen and better displayed here than probably any other series as a whole or, or yep. season-long story arc. And that's where it drove home to me that this is a great TOS episode. TOS set up so many episodes that basically, when you look at this, uh, TOS as a, as a whole, most of the episodes come down to some form of understanding or personal connection, not battle prowess, save the day. Some of the greatest episodes, Errands of Mercy and, and all the different, uh, most of the Klingon episodes 
in the show were not solved by battle. They were solved by understanding and choosing a better path. Yep. Uh, and yep. I thought that that is where this season as a whole shined. And it's why the yep. last three episodes of the show were some of the best three episodes of Star Trek over 50 plus years. So I'm going to go ahead and take it a step further and say, not only are you correct that that that, that is how they saved the day, not only was that the only way that they could save the universe, that they had to do that in the face of an enemy which was pressing at the gate and wanted to do the big battle. The, when the Emerald Chain and Osira was attacking Star Starfleet headquarters, it would have been very easy for them. And, and there were times of weakness where they were like, no, 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 we need to go back. We need to defend the homeland. We need to beat them back. And it was little moments of wisdom and 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 little character, little moments where it seemed like like Saru. It seemed like Saru was getting emotionally invested in Sukal, and it was his resistance that kept them from going back because they weren't going to leave Saru behind. You know, um, uh, the 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 chief engineer there was not going to leave his husband behind. He just absolutely was not, and he was going to do whatever it took to do it. To the point that Michael had to shoot him out of an airlock. Yep. Right? Everybody wanted to go back and fight the Emerald Chain. They wanted... The Emerald Chain was bringing a fight, and Discovery wanted to be there and do the fight. And it took it took everyone collectively, even through their own moments of weakness, to say, Nope, that's not our job. Our job is to fix this problem. And if you want to talk about a way that we can take this season and translate it to the Dungeons and Dragons table, as a as a storyteller, how often do you throw out a big plot that is juicy, that is ripe, that has hooks that you that you want the players to want. You want them to do it. You want them to chase after the evil wizard who's doing the thing. With the MacGuffin. As a storyteller, you, yeah, you like you want him to. And it takes restraint on the player's part to say, nope, we can't do that yet. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. But we can't take on the big bad wizard. We can't take on the drow. We can't do the thing. Because we need to do something else First, because if we don't do this something else first, we're going to fail, and it and and nobody wants to. Nobody feels good about that. Nobody. It, it's one of those role playing moments that you love when you're role playing, you know. But but is is it is agonizing to sit there and and go through it because boy, you wanna just you wanna you know the wizard is taunting you and you just wanna smack it out of his mouth and. And it takes that moment of wisdom and restraint to say, nope, we can't take the wizard until we find the artifact weapon that can defeat him. That's what happened. Exactly. And to answer your question, how many times have I set that up at the game table? Huh. Are you talking just in my two games that I'm running currently and just last <laughs> week? Or are you talking overall in time? Because one, uh, uh, hey, how's this going? It's like one, two, three, uh, I'm all out. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, I get the feeling that none of our players can listen to this because they're going to all of a sudden realize what's oh, yeah. going on. You know? um, yeah. Actually, I have a couple players who realized I did that at the time of this recording last week. This is We're recording, and this is the week where I have one of my games at the beginning of the week, and I have my other game at the end of the week, both in the same campaign world. And I've laid out some stuff. And there are players that are real that are have realized from the first game and are about to realize in the second game. So this will air after that. So I feel comfortable in saying <laughs> how many times? Well, twice in the last Every week episode. or in the week we're yeah. in. Uh, have I done that? Uh, but you're absolutely yep. correct. This is the episode where you have to do the thing that is not that doesn't feel optimal to get yep. the optimal result. And one, that is maturity. Two, that is selflessness. Three, that is epic drama. And whether that's on the television screen or it's on your game table or on your virtual uh, screen and uh, uh, with your dice rollers, it is why, it, me personally, it's why I do this. Yep. It's why I DM. Yep. And that they are the kinds of games that I live for. I live for the fact that, yeah, I did this thing, even though that was the thing that I was better prepared for, or I wanted to do, but this was the right thing uh, to do uh, in my character's story arc. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's I mean, amazing. It, it, it's Doctor Strange. It's Doctor Strange going through 14 million realities and finding one where they succeed against Thanos. Yep. Because the, and they and if they don't do the right thing, the, sorry, if they don't do the correct thing in the correct order, it's not gonna work. Absolutely, I truly believe that despite the challenges I had within this and uh, what I see as issues and concerns with quibbles, uh, quibbles, quibbles, quibbles is the ones we've used. For, <laughs> that's our new word. Quibbles is is a quibbles, yeah. Quibbles uh, is the word is what how we say it on this show. Oh, that's an audio clip. I despite those things in this show, this was an excellent season. Uh, and if I look at the season as a whole, I would have thought it would have been exceptionally difficult to equal or top season two. And the only reason why I think it didn't quite top season two is because Anson Mount as Captain Pike was freaking out of the scales amazing yep and i can't wait for yeah. his show we'll definitely be talking about that on this channel oh uh, that's going to be yep. incredible but uh that is he is the single element of season two that makes season two better than this season yep uh so 13 episode season season two you know how many episodes captain pike was in three really that's it yep that's it he doesn't appear until after the bit with Michael's mother. Well, he was in the first episode too, wasn't he? Like he was right mm -mm. at the beginning, I thought. Nope. Incorrect. Wow. Yeah. Okay, for the record, that's an impact. Like, like if you talk about how do you make a, a how do you make an NPC count? That's how you make an NPC count. Because I thought he was in every episode. And so, so again. That's that's the scaling issue. That's the scaling quibble that Discovery has is that it's real. It's a real slow burn for the first half, and then all of a sudden they crank up the heat and it burns real hot for four, for five or six episodes. That's what you're going to get with the Discovery season. And 
you know, I am, I'm in for the Christopher Pike show. I am in for season four of discovery. I'm in, I'm done. Absolutely. I'm in, but, but this is what you're going to get. And I think you're right. We've covered how much we love the show as a whole. We've covered our quibbles. We've covered the elements that we really like support and love. I do want to talk about some meta with, with Discovery Season 3, because I think we're doing a disservice if we don't. I really love some of the guest stars that they put into this season, and they brought yep, back, absolutely. I think, uh, and his name is escaping me right now, but the gentleman who played a Klingon in the first episode, who then played the scientist at, at, towards the end of the season, and some of his um, uh, physical challenges, and the fact that they were able to give him a place in Star Trek is awesome. And the fact that he is a part of this family is awesome. I loved that. And I thought it was really great to have him included. I thought it was great to have him be a part of it. And uh, I love what he brought. I thought he made some of those end of the season, uh, that end of the season arc better for being there. It wasn't a throw in. His character made it better. And that's what you want out of a guest star. You want them to make your show better. I'm trying to remember his episode, or his name, uh, Aurelio. Aurelio, yes. Yep. Uh, yep. He was awesome. I. Thi- yep, absolutely. Great character. Uh, I think Osira was interesting. At first, I yep. wasn't her biggest fan, but after they got her in the debate room or in, in the oh. meeting room acting a, a, against the Admiral or uh, Admiral Vance, so good. that's when so I loved good. that character. I wish they had done yep. more of that earlier with her, but I think I, I, liked, I liked what I saw. When I first saw that, that part of the episode, I was really sort of like, huh. That's really interesting. I'm surprised that the head of Starfleet is really giving, who is at this point largely a a pirate at large, running from from any number of legal entities at this point. I'm really surprised that he is even giving her the time of day. You know, like that's how is this really possible? And then I remembered something, and that's that. Orions have natural pheromones that seduce people that they're in close contact with. And so, but they never talk about it. They never say it. They don't hint that that's what's going on. They don't, they don't make the Admiral look all starry eyed. They don't, they don't do anything like that. They just have them talk. And the actress is so fantastic doing that and the writing is so good to support the acting that she's doing it just it just seems so natural i got seduced right along with the admiral and then all of a sudden i snapped out of it it's like huh well that was weird why did that happen that's right she's an orion yep absolutely oh fabulous absolutely fabulous a great scene a fantastic scene that's the scene that made me want to redo a couple rpg scenes that i've done because that's that's how you get a villain to the table to argue a point. We've all played, or many of us have played the bard or the rogue or the face of the party that's tried to negotiate his way through this, that, or the other thing. Uh, but as a DM, when you get the villain at the table and you're not using a power where you're rolling dice and the party starts thinking, huh, and it's not, I'm going to give you great magical power. You're not hitting him with a heavy hand. You're just talking to them about 
you want this, I can give it to you. All you got to do is give me what I want. I know it's not what you really want, but if you give it to me anyway, then you get all this. Everybody wins. It's why a lawful evil character is so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So brilliant. Josh, anything else to say? No, I think I, I think we have uh, we have tackled this one pretty well. So, uh, you know, again, definitely in for season season four. Any of the other uh, Christopher Pike spinoffs? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to Lower Decks season two. Um, mm. Star Trek in general, I'm always in for. But the crop of shows we've had recently and that are projected in the near foreseeable future are top flight. So to quote a, a great and wonderful human being who has inspired us for many, many years, live long and prosper. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at ttjourneys, and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our side quest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.